I always find it interesting as a pastor when I have people who once they find out that I'm a pastor, all of a sudden they just have this uh, wanting to clean up their act behavior. And, uh, you know, if they, they just don't want to do any kind of trash talking that they might have been doing at the time, and they're really apologizing to me if they just said a swear word or if they were, you know, using some kind of coarse humor. It's just funny to me. It's funny to me because it's almost like, you know, it's as if, okay, God doesn't see you. It's the way you are anyway. I remember this guy that used to cut my hair when I lived down south, and uh, we were talking, as you always do when you get your hair cut, and uh, he said, you know, my mom just gave me my baby book, and I discovered that I was baptized in the Presbyterian Church. And I said, well, maybe it's time for you to come home, come back to church. And he said, oh, if I walked into the church, the walls would cave in. As if what he did was so shameful and so horrible that God could not even be near him or near it. I just find that ludicrous because God knows us and God also deals with the raw reality of our lives. It is where God meets us. And I wish they could, all of them, be in this story that we're going to be in in a moment in Genesis 27. That's about the story of Jacob. This story is more dramatic and more lively and in some ways as ugly as any TV reality show uh, or any soap opera that you're going to watch on television. There's competition, there's lying, there's cheating, there's weeping, there's breaking one another's hearts. And this happens to be the very people, the very family through whom God is bringing blessing into the world. It's just kind of crazy, like a crazy quilt. So I want you um, to be mindful of Emmanuel, God with us, in the mess of our lives as we are in Genesis 27. And uh, isn't that the name of God that we meet in Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us in our mess? And I'm going to lead us in prayer, and we're going to listen to this story. And before we listen to the story, I need to tell you just a few things, or we need to remember a few things, because maybe all of you weren't here Last Sunday, when we began this series, Life is Messy, because we have four characters in this story that we met last week. We have Isaac and Rebecca, and we have Esau and Jacob. And I just want us to remember what we learned last week about Isaac and Rebecca. Remember Isaac, he is the son of promise from Abraham and Sarah. Uh, remember, that was quite the miracle that they had a son named Isaac. And this is, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this is that Isaac. What do we know about Rebecca? Anybody want to offer what we remember from last week? She had a hard time getting pregnant. Do you remember that part? She was infertile. And so they were praying to God that she would get pregnant. It took 20 years. She got pregnant with twins, but something really really, really violent, in a way, was going on in her womb. So she went to God in prayer, and what did she find out? Found out that there was going to be conflict between these two twins, and that one would rule over the other. So the twins were born, and do you remember anything about Esau, what his description was? Hairy. Yeah, hairy. Okay, now you're remembering. <laughs> 
Harry. His name sounds like the word Harry. He's a very hairy, hairy man. He must have been extremely hairy, as you're going to hear in this story later. And what do you know about Jacob? Jacob's name means the one who supplants or grabs by the heel. He's kind of a born hustler. That's who Jacob is, though he's born second. We see that later in the story uh, that we read last week as uh, Esau is extremely hungry and Jacob talked Esau into selling his birthright as the eldest to him. So now we're seeing that he continues to be the born hustler here in this story. The other thing you need to know before we get into the story is some information about the blessing in the Old Testament. The blessing is handed down from one generation to another, and that's the great intrigue as we go through Genesis and all the way through Scripture, is how God is carrying on this promise of God's promised future of well-being and shalom from one generation to another. And it is spoken into being. And the Word of God is powerful. And the Word is powerful that comes out of the mouth of the patriarch who passes it on. And once that Word goes out, that Word of blessing, it can't be taken back. And nobody wants to live an unblessed life. And nobody wants their child to live an unblessed life. All right, we're ready for the story. It's a long story. It comes in four dramatic movements, and I'm going to pray as we prepare to hear the Word of God. You are the Word. Living one, you are the Word, and we want to hear your Word to us, and we want the words of this page and the words of my mouth to actually be heard by us in the ways that you want us to hear you. And that is our prayer, O oh God. Help us to listen to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 27, beginning at verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called his eldest elder son Esau and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, See, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow. Go out into the field and hunt game for me. And then prepare for me savory food such as I like, and bring it to me to eat so that I may bless you before I die. By the way, do you remember from last week how Esau loved to hunt game and how he was Isaac's favorite? And Jacob liked to live quietly in tents, and he was his mother, Rebekah's favorite. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me savory food to eat, that I may bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my word as I command you. Go to the flock and get me two choice kids so that I may prepare from them savory food for your father, such as he likes, and you shall take it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to his mother, Rebekah, Look, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a man of smooth skin. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my word and go, get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared savory food such as his father loved. 
And then Rebekah took the best garments of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on her younger son Jacob. And she put the skins of the kids on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And then she handed the savory food and the bread that she had prepared to her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game so that you may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went up to his father Isaac, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice. But the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you. And blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of his father Isaac, his brother Esau came in from his hunting. He also prepared savory food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father sit up and eat of his son's game so that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your firstborn son, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him? Yes, and blessed he shall be. When Esau heard his father's words, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me also, father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he's taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is it not right that he was named Jacob, for he has supplanted me these two times? He took away my birthright, and look, now he's taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I've already made him your Lord, and I have given him all his brothers as servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, father? Bless me also, me also, father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then his father Isaac answered him, See, away from the fatness of the earth shall be your home, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you break loose, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. 
Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of her elder son Esau were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called her younger son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is consoling himself. I plan to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran and stay with him a while until your brother's fury burns away, until your brother's anger against you turns away and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you back from here, from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? This is the gift of God's word. Wow. Yeah. So what's wrong with that picture? Yeah, you're like he's ever going to forget, exactly. So what kind of dysfunction did you notice in there? What got your attention? Yeah, lots, exactly. Yeah, Rebecca, all that scheming. Oh my gosh, what kind of marriage is that, Rebecca and Isaac? What kind of parenting is that? Let me show you how to lie to your father. In fact, let me, let me lead you in lying and deceiving your old father who cannot see before he dies. Yikes. Any other thing you noticed in here? <laughs> Life is definitely messy, but there's this scandalous way that we see side by side the blessing of God is being carried in this story of deception and lying and cheating. It's shocking. It's shocking that this is the family. This is the way this family is. You're going to see. It continues like this. This is the way this family is, and this is the way God chooses to work to bring the carriers of the blessing in and through this mess. And it just makes you just go, really? Really? That's the way God is working? So we have all this dysfunction alongside the blessing, and we have no explanation. We have no justification for it, and we also have no explanation. This is the way this family is. It is the way God is choosing to work. And remember, Jacob's name gets changed to what? Israel. This is the birth of God's chosen people, the carriers of God's covenant promises, the ones through whom we get the commandments and the law, the prophets, through whom we get Jesus Christ, God's Messiah. It's really shocking. So the question for us is, what are we supposed to do with this? What does this mean for us? Does this mean that our messiness is fine? That it's okay to be a lying cheat? To be deceiving and to treat your parents that way and to treat one another in your family that way? No, because we see that there are consequences to this lying and this cheating. You may not see it all now, but Jacob, who loved to live in tents, what happens to him at the end of the story? He's a fugitive. He has to flee for his life. You don't know this, but Rebecca will never see her favorite son again. That's the last time she sees him. And Esau, what's happening with Esau? Just consumed with hate, murderous hate, for the next 20 years. And Isaac, how does he die? He dies betrayed, he dies deceived, he dies with his heart broken. 
Now, the meaning of this story for us is not, okay, go ahead and sin because God is going to bless you anyway. (laughs) So sin all the more so that grace may abound. No. God has come to lift us out. The blessing will lift us out of our deception and our lying and these lives of pain and hatred and betrayal that we often live. But God meets us in our mess. We don't seek the mess, but we seek God in the midst of the mess who lifts us out of it. I think that's important for us to think about together, that the invitation of this story is to be looking for God in the midst of the mess, in the midst of the mess in our own lives, in the midst of the mess in the church, in the midst of the mess all around us, God's blessing, looking for God's blessing and where God is moving in the rawness and the realness of our everyday lives. Because we don't tend to want to do that. Many of you know that I have been trained over the last three years to be a spiritual director, which means sitting with people and helping them listen to their lives and to listen to where the mystery of God is breaking into their lives. And it's interesting, in our training, we were trained to help people listen to their raw and very real experience, and in that, God is moving. But when I sit with people and we talk about how we want to listen and we're trying to listen to where God is at work in their lives, we tend to think that God is showing up in the neat and lovely parts of our lives, the churchy parts of our lives. And so they tend to want to tell me the nice stories. And it takes work for me to invite out of them, no, not only are we listening to what's what you're grateful for, but what you're not grateful for. We're not only listening to where you felt loved and loving, but where you felt drained and mean and cruel and hateful. We're looking for the very real rawness of your life. Bring it up, name it, say it, and in that, in that raw realness, you're going to notice and we're going to notice together the way God is at work in your life, in the raw realness, and it's hard for people. I remember years ago, a good friend of mine, very tragic and difficult situation. When you think about places of extreme pain and brokenness, heartbrokenness, her son, mid-20s, a major innovator in the Silicon Valley, just been married for a year, took his own life. And in that whole situation, every parent that's had to deal with that can't help but feel a sense of blame. What could I have done? What didn't I do? Even though he struggled with depression most of his life. So easy to want to blame the psychiatrist. What didn't the psychiatrist do or could the psychiatrist have done to prevent this? All kinds of room for blame and for anger. And her phrase, her phrase that she kept saying over and over that she hung on to in her life of faith looking for God in the mess. Her phrase was, there is grace. There is grace. She just hung on to that. Every time I talked to her, she talked about how that was just what she was saying to herself, saying in the situations of trying to track down what should the psychiatrist have done or not done, there is grace. So I bought her a candle, and it's from Philosophy, and it says grace. And I'm going to pass this around 
And I want you, as it comes to you, to just name the mess, the place of shame, the place of ugliness in your own life, the last place you would expect there to be grace or God at work, and just be mindful of God's presence with you that there is grace in that mess as you pass that around, all the way around, hopefully. I'm trusting that you won't catch anything on fire. <laughs> Looking for God in the mess in our own lives. Looking for God in the mess in the church. There is no such thing as a perfect church. God is at work in the mess. Some of you know for us at Trinity, we are really working hard right now to look for where God is at work in, in our calling to hand down our faith and the blessing of God to the next generation in youth ministry. Youth ministry is hard, all the way across the board. I remember in this, actually parenting our teens is hard, right? When I was a teenager, seven of us in our family, my mom would say those were the years she wanted to forget. All my siblings, drugs were big in my hometown in Visalia, and I just had a sister visiting here recently who acknowledged to me, she said, hey, I was on acid my whole senior year in high school. That was our life. That was the met. I mean, I wasn't on acid, but she was on acid. <laughs> but it was all around me. It was all around us. It was a part of what was going on, and especially for a lot of my siblings. They were pretty much high, you know, from junior high on. It's a mess. And yet still, my parents raised us to be in the church, and even though we were a mess and walked away from the church, I look at them now, and the blessing of God, God was still meeting us in that mess. And these are people of faith and generosity and kindness, and this particular sister, she tithes to this church. She gives a tithe of her income to Trinity Presbyterian Church. She's a generous person of faith, in spite of being stoned her whole high school years. <laughs> Go figure. You know, in the church in the church and in us as we are trying to figure out what does it mean for us to pass on the blessing to our youth. Things have changed so much in the last five years in terms of what life is like for our middle schoolers and high schoolers. And so how is it that we are called? God is passing on the blessing. That's our calling. How is that happening? Where is God at work in the messiness of our church life? And you're going to hear our youth ministry team speak to that later in the service, because I find it interesting, Esau and Jacob, you know what? I think they were probably teenagers in this story. I think that's about the age they were. And yet God chooses them in all of their kind of craziness. And out of that, a crazy quilt is coming together of God's blessing. They are the carriers of the blessing in that mess. So I think the invitation is for us to look for where God is at work in the messiness of our own lives, in the messiness of the church, and also in the messiness that's all around us. Recently, your session gave me permission to bring communion, because every month, once a month, I bring a message to Street Church, to the homeless in Redwood City, and uh, to serve communion there. And one time we did that, Debbie, Debbie Grubbs and I, we were serving communion, and I remember going to the line. These are people that are coming for a meal mostly, but they also get to hear scripture and a message, and we worship together. And I was walking down the line, and I was offering communion, and there was this one man who was obviously very, very drunk, 
And his son was with him, and I said, do you want communion? And he said, shied away like, oh, my life is too messy. My life, I'm too ashamed of myself. But he said, maybe my son does. His son was about middle school. So I asked his son, and I explained to his son what it was, and he wanted to, and his father was so excited. He said, that's his first communion. And, I, and then he said, then he turned and he wanted communion himself. That was a sweet moment. Why was that a sweet moment? Because the fullness of God's blessing in the flesh in Jesus Christ comes to the messiest, the dirtiest, the ugliest places of our lives. Jesus is born in a stinky barn. I won't tell you the word that describes the smell. You know it. He calls disciples to him who are a mess. There's nothing great or, or noble about them. Nothing. He goes all the way to the ugliest deception, the ugliest betrayal and lying, the ugliest shameful death of all, in all history, in his death on the cross. He descended into hell, our hell, which is what deception is. It's what lying is. That is the way the father of lies and the evil one works goes right into the thick of our hell to raise us up out of it so that all of us can be carriers of the blessing. That is the way God works. I love the Beekner quote, Frederick Beekner, when he says this, and you have to put it up there because I can't remember exactly how it goes. One of the blunders that religious people are particularly fond of making is the attempt to be more spiritual than God. clean up our act. We have to clean it all up and not be real and raw. This story is so five cents. It is so real. It is so raw. It is so messy. And that's where God's at work, not because of us and because of who we are, but because this is who God is. And there is grace, and that is grace. That God is coming to the messiest, ugliest places of our lives fully in Jesus Christ to lift us up so that we will be carriers of the blessing to the next generation. We are a part of this crazy quilt. Not because we have it all together, but because whether we have it together or don't have it together, God is gracious. God is merciful. God is blessing. God is moving toward us in blessing. Nobody wants to live an unblessed life. Nobody has to live an unblessed life. Because no matter who you are, what you've done or you have not done, how proud you are of your life or how ashamed you are of your life, God's moving toward you in the fullness of who God is in Jesus Christ into the thick of your hell. There is grace. And meeting you there and bringing resurrection life Right now, not just when we die. Right now. It is the craziness of God's work in Jesus Christ. So we want to pay attention to how we're trying to be more spiritual than God. And actually we're invited to notice in the mess of our lives, in the real rawness of it, in the messiness of the church, in the messiness of the world around us, on the streets, in the people we'd rather not be around, God is there. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen.